Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 7, 25 to 34. Now this is my travel Bible. The Bible I use at home is much more tattered than Josh's, actually. It's ripped apart. Pages are missing. That's not a problem, though, that pages are missing because I have most of it memorized. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oliver and I, you'll meet him. Some of you that are around will meet him in the second service. we're, We're kind of doing this in, you know, sort of, Stages here. We wouldn't want to introduce the entire Upton family to Springfield at the same time. It'd just be too much. So it's been me and Rachel. Now we've got Lucy and Oliver, our two youngest, are here with us this weekend. Maybe eventually we'll bring all of them, which is chaos, you know, and wonderful. Oliver and I were driving home this last Wednesday night from playing tennis. And uh, we got in the car, and he said, he said, Dad, when you get to heaven, and you can have your one wish, (laughs) which is, that alone is amazing to me. This is a, where did we get that idea? It's amazing. It's like movies and Heaven and Bible class, you know what I mean? All in one. When you get to heaven and you can have your one wish, what's it going to be? I sat there for a moment and I thought, okay. Hmm. Driving, I said, you know, Oliver, I think, I think, I think if I had one wish, it would be that my family and I could be happily together forever. He laughed out loud at me. He said, Dad, you're deep. I just want to fly. I said, man, I'm sharing that on Sunday. That's amazing. Somehow, the beauty of, of that, it just touched me. It's not that mine wasn't true. It's almost like he just knew, of course. I mean, this is heaven. They're not separating us. You know, it's kind of funny, not being political. It's like they're not separating us at the border or something. You know what I mean? It's like this is, this is Oliver's mindset. It's like obviously, we're, it's like obviously, it's a given that we're going to be together. Give me a real wish, Dad. I just want to fly. Whoo. Therefore, therefore, Jesus says, I tell you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I love the questions of Jesus, right? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the, see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. I love this contrasting statement. Yet I, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of them. If that's how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. I'm going to say that, and your heavenly, your pagans run after all of that, but your heavenly father already knows what you need. Your heavenly father already knows what you need. When I read that this week, I was thinking, yes, God, I want to make that great exchange with you. I want to actually accept the fact that I don't even know what I need. I live in an Instagrammy culture. And the problem with it is that we, we actually are being programmed and don't even know it to constantly be present to everywhere we're not. To people we don't even really know. Comparing ourselves. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. It says this first. I love this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Ooh. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, and it's not saying, and all the things that you think you want will be given to you. No, 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 no. All that caring will be done for you as well. You just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything will be all right if we, if we in the world would just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because as we know this week, as you know, I'm kind of in 
this week with you, but praying and tearing up with Josh over this loss in your community. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If we're worried about tomorrow, we just got too much time on our hands. There's too much to worry about today. There's too many people that just, they have no mirror to tell them they belong. They have no one to say there actually is hope. There's too much presence required of us for the kingdom work today. This is the first thing Jesus says. He says, this is what I want you to do. He doesn't command us to worry ever in the Bible. That's a beautiful gift, isn't it? Jesus never commands us to worry. So we can take that off the list. This is what he commands us to do. I want you to look. Don't worry, but look. See. Look, see. Not at the mirror in front of you. Look around you. Look around you. I read this last week in a book I'm working on uh, or working through. It's, it's a beautiful book called Silence in the Age of Noise. <laughs> Amazing. It's the Erling uh, Kagye, I think is how you say his name, famed Norwegian explorer and the first to reach the South Pole alone. He says one late night in December 2010, the urban explorer Steve Duncan and I climbed to the top of the Williamsburg Bridge, the bridge connecting Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. We were making our way through New York from 242nd Street and Broadway, if you've ever been there, you know this in the Bronx towards Harlem and then farther down Manhattan towards the Atlantic Ocean via the city's mystical system of underground tunnels. Steve and I, he says, wanted to see New York in a way no one ever has from the inside out. Which I found, it just intrigued me immediately because this is what Jesus comes and offers us, right? I want, you to, I want you to start to see the world from the inside out. I want you to start to change the world from the inside out. The kingdom of God is within you. I want you to become participants in making all things new. So Steve and I wanted to see New York in a way no one ever has, from the inside out from, and, and also from the tops of bridges. Whew, I love that. So we made our ascent in the dark, Gazing out over Queens and Brooklyn all the way to Coney Island, we could detect the sun just below the horizon of the Atlantic. From the very tops of the bridge, 
we watched the city slowly light up. Even though the sun remained below the horizon, it was slowly lighting up. A few minutes later, sunbeams began to hit where we stood, touched the upper floors of the skyscrapers below us, and then painstakingly began to warm up the city. I heard nothing. That's what he says. I heard nothing. Below me, he says, the traffic thundered past in four lanes while the subway pounded rhythmically on its way in and out of the city center. But I actually was so consumed by all that I saw, the sun rising, that what I was seeing shut out the noise. Then he says this. If, you, if you're going to wait for it to get silent, he doesn't say it this way, this is how I'm saying it. He says, you cannot wait for it to get silent. But in my journal, I wrote, Jay, if you're going to wait for it to get silent, you're going to be waiting a long time. You got to create the silence and it's created by what Jesus says. Not worry, but look and see. Now, I, I want to take a moment here because Jesus gives us a multiplicity of offerings here in this, but it's not first. We don't want to first move so quickly to the imaginative faith world. Right? We need that too. But, but Jesus, what I love about Jesus is the spirituality starts with just a, simp a simple. It's not like, look, see, Gabriel. And this is what I laugh about when people are like, oh, Jason, he sings with angels. I was like, giggle. I'm like, well, that's a story. It's not like I'm like, hey, here's my band angels singing behind me. I mean, that'd be amazing. You know, I go to Brazil and they love that. Oh, you sang with an angel. Well, I don't know. I don't, I think... You know, it's possible. I mean, people have made these stories. But it's like, it's not like I'm like, yeah, Gabriel comes with me everywhere I go. You know what I mean? I'm not exactly sure about all of that. But this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't start with that mystical realm, which is really important. And we'll get to that. But he starts with just very simple things. Can you, have you listened to that bird recently? Have you taken a look at creation? Recently, have you taken the moment to just wait on the rooftops for the sunrise to come over that city to such a degree you can't even pay attention to the noise anymore because of everything you're seeing? Wendell Berry, I love reading Wendell Berry stuff. He, he had this quote I heard the other day. Uh, he says, the world is in fact full of Free things. It's powerful because Jesus also speaks about this kingdom economy as well here. The world is actually full of all these free things that are delightful, like flowers, right? And then he says, and the world is also full of people who would rather pay for something to kill the dandelions than appreciate the dandelions. And then he says this, well, he says, well, 
I'm a dandelion kind of man. That convicted me. And Rachel will be here in the second service to know how I grew up in Minnesota where we kill all the dandelions. Because that, 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 makes, that makes it clear to everyone that you have a proper yard. It's just green, no dandelions. And then he comes along and says, oh, yeah, the world is full of it, but it's also full of people that want to kill the And Rachel's always like, you don't have to kill those. Those are wonderful. I'm like, yes, we do, because my dad's going to come, and I'm going to be ashamed. We've got dandelions in our yard. And then Wendell Berry comes along, the beautiful man. He comes along and says, I'm kind of a dandelion man. Beautiful. It's already full. It's just being awake to what the gifts are. It's like Father Gillick always says, become a people who are present to the presence of the present. Become more alive, more awake. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles, and one of the greatest miracles is that we could actually really see. The blind Jesuit could see better than I could see, and I have eyes to see. The miracle isn't that he could finally see. The miracle is actually that I could start seeing. And I'm the one that thinks I can see. Sometimes that's the biggest problem is those of us that think we can see. Right? The humility is real when we can still be surprised by what we're looking at, when it can still overwhelm us, when a sunrise can still overtake us to such a degree we, it actually drowns out everything else around us. I had an experience like this early on. Um, my son Samuel, who I said is, he's uh, almost 21. My nephew Zane, he's a bit younger I, uh, this was years and years ago, probably 15, 16 years ago, 2000, certainly 2005, something like that. I'm driving those boys that particular week. I had an old, old land cruiser. I drove that thing like 360,000 miles or something. I loved that thing. I feel like I should have never given it up. I should have just put a new engine in that thing. It was so, so amazing. But it, it was a gas gug. I, I think I got like six miles to the gallon, so that kind of hurt me. But, uh, but I, uh, I'm driving them to school one week, and Zane is a beautifully brilliant kid. Just to give you a bit backdrop, uh, we named Samuel because Rachel, who you'll meet in the second service, she was, she was barren, physically medical pictures she was not going to be able to have children and then one night the Holy Spirit rested on her and she fell to the ground and she felt a hand come on her belly and when she looked up there was no one there and she knew angel of the Lord the Lord was touching her belly and that hand went from really cold to extremely hot and she knew immediately that it was sucking the infection out, and she was healed. It was a miracle. And then we were, were pregnant almost immediately, and then I was with Lou Ingle, and he prophesied, and he said, I, I see, and she was pregnant. We didn't know what, kind of, what we were going to have, and boy or girl, and he said, I see a, I see a, I see a boy rising in the, in the womb of a mother. 
and to the extent that you walk in the fear of the Lord and serve the Lord in the kingdom, this son and entire generation will walk in the fear of the Lord and serve the I see, I see, like Samuel, he'll have favor with God. And we knew immediately. We found out a few months later that we were indeed having a boy. And of course, we named him Samuel. And then in the back seat, I have Zane, my nephew, who's Palestinian, Jordanian, Muslim father. And he's in the back seat. And I love this kid. And they're having this dialogue and I had just been to Israel and I was in Israel ministering and seven bombs went off in six days so all of that was kind of spinning in me and I've got Zane in the back seat and he keeps saying to Samuel hey Sam can we be friends and Samuel says oh, that's a ridiculous question Zane it's a ridiculous question Of course we're friends. I mean, we're cousins. And then Zane would say, no, no, no. Just because we're cousins doesn't mean we're friends. And I thought, this is an amazing thing. Sam has always been that way. He wants to be a surgeon. He's got this kind of, he always says to me, Dad, if you'd stop using metaphor, I'd know what you're talking about. This is kind of Sam, you know. And and, and Zane, Zane was one of these kids that he was like, um, uh, Real artistic, really creative. And his, and his mind was such that, I mean, there's a name for it, but I'm not going to say that. But I, it, it, it's beautiful. He, he has such an incredible mind that he and I just got each other. It was like we got each other. And, I, he, and, and you could ask him like anything. You could say, like, give us like one million, like when he was four or five. Give us one million, one hundred and seventy-nine thousand and divide it like by whatever you wanted to divide it by, immediately he'd give you the number. This was Zane. And he was also very perceptive of things that he was hearing. He didn't like, you know, necessarily loud noises. And, he, you know, beautiful kid. He just graduated college, and he's already in his master's program learning languages around the world and has taken on quite an affinity to Jesus of Nazareth, so much so that he's kind of annoying the rest of our Christian family. <laughs> As he's like such a radical Jesus follower. Like his mother felt like we should go before COVID, we could go and feed the homeless at Christmas time, right? And so they go for two and a half, three hours to feed the homeless at Christmas time. Well, he says, Mom, we gotta go at least two hours early. And and his and his mother says, oh, why? We're gonna be there for almost three hours. He says, Well, I, I don't wanna just feed them. I mean, Jesus wouldn't do that, Mom. Jesus, we don't want to just feed them. I want to know them. It's kind of irritating our Christian family a little bit. So, so, uh, <laughs> but anyway, there they are. They're in the back seat and, and they keep asking this. And I realize because of where I've just been in my mind and the way it works, I realize there's a massive metaphor. There's a reality happening in the back seat. There's the peace talks are going on. Hey, we're cousins, but that doesn't mean we're friends. So then as the week progressed, they kept kind of going back to that argument because Samuel just wasn't having it. Of course we're friends, we're cousins. This is ridiculous. And then, and then I love Andre Bocelli, and he had, he, had, he had kind of just come on the scene, right? 
and he had this record. You got, it's like a deep tr- cut. You know, you got to really look for it if you want to find this record. But you should listen to it. I love it. It's called the Toscana record. It was one of his first records that was really famous. And, and I was listening to that all the time. And so I had that on one of the days. And, it's, and, and I'm driving, and it, I remember it was a 40-day, you know, 40-degree day, kind of like yesterday, clear skies, blue, driving along Lake Michigan shoreline, which is beautiful. It's like 300 miles wide or something and at its longest, or 280, and then, you know, 100 and some miles long, 180 miles long or something. It's, a, it's, it's like a sea. And, 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 and there we are, we're driving, and... Uh, and I'm listening to Andrea Bocelli on the, on the radio, and, and he says, Uncle Jason, I can't hear the music, Uncle Jason. And so I said, all right. So I turn up the radio a little bit. A few moments later, he says, Uncle Jason, Uncle Jason, I can't hear the music, Uncle Jason. So I turn it up just a little bit more. And then he asks me a third time, and in the third time, I kind of turn it down a little bit, and I said, hey, Zane, I can't turn the music up any louder. It's, it's really going to hurt our ears. And I actually, if anybody that knows me, I like it loud, but it was really loud. He says, oh, Uncle Jason, I don't want you to turn up the radio. I want you to turn it off and roll down the windows. This is, and just fast forwarding a little bit, guys, what I'm saying is, This is something that feels like an interruption. This is often how God shows us and reveals things to us. It feels like an interruption, but it's actually an invitation to something. And you can sort of just blow it off of this kid doesn't know what he's talking about, and I'm the adult, and this is the radio, and this is the music. If you really wanted to hear the music. But immediately, I I knew enough to know there's something here. Turn down... Okay, so I turned off the radio and I rolled down the windows. And the moment I rolled down the windows, those boys started howling. Woo! And then we all started howling and the wind's blowing in our faces. And then I, I get the giggles because it's so funny because their faces are like lit up with laughter. You know this if you're parents, right? It's the joy, isn't it? It's like you look at it. I look in the rearview mirror and their faces are lit up with laughter and they're leaning into one another and the wind's blowing in their faces. And it's so cold out that everybody's eyes are becoming, they're filled with water. And, you're, and, and it looks like you're crying and tears are falling down our faces, but we're laughing. And then I get excited. I'm like, Hey, man, we can bring more air in here. I got a big sunroof. So I start, I, I start like putting back the sunroof. I put the sunroof back. Even more wind starts blowing in there, and we get to the school, and I drop them off. And my mind is trying to pick up on this. I don't exactly know what, what, what I'm being taught by the four-and-a-half-year-old child, but I know it's important. They get out, they unfasten themselves. I get them out of the car, and right, Sam gets out almost immediately. Zane kind of walks up to me, and I'm helping him get out, and I looked at him, and I said, Zane, that's the real music, isn't it? And then he looked at me, and he says, just like this, he says, yeah, Uncle Jason, that's the real music. I went home, I looked up his name. I thought, oh, I've got all these songs for the kids that I've written and asked the Lord for the revelation through their life. And I looked up his name, Zane, and it's got lots of different translations because it's a Hebrew name and Arabic name. And 
I get to the end of one of these translations and it says, friend of the wind and the waves. Or friend of the wind and the sea, I can't remember. I, I sat down at the piano. I turned down the radio. Turn down the radio. I want to hear. Just that line alone. Turn down the radio. I want to hear. Turn down the voices hurting my ears. There's a moment getting away and there's something I want to say. Roll down the window and this is what you'll hear. The sound of a stranger's voice in your ear. Is it fear that has kept you away from the song and the wind and the waves saying, we can be friends if you want to. Now, all of a sudden, it's like not just the music in, in, in the wind and the waves. I, I can see Jesus walking across the wind and the waves, reaching his hand out to me. We can be friends. It's not just Zane. It's not just the, 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 the peace talks going on. It's the peace talk between the Lord and me going on. All being prophesied by my nephew in the back seat. We can be friends if you want to. There's a friendship waiting to be. We can be friends if you want to. Take my hand. Come on. Be friends with me. Beautiful music and memories and years of beautiful laughter and beautiful tears. It's a beautiful morning today with the wind blowing every which way. Beautiful people. Beautiful people forgive and forget. Their eyes look like children who haven't lost yet. And trust is the strength of their love that disarms all the powers that separate us. We can be friends if you want to. Jesus is, is saying, don't worry, but look and see. And don't just look and see these hyper, super spiritual things. Just look and see what I've already gifted you with. I'm already showing you. But he's also revealing to us in this passage that there's another kingdom that we operate in. There's another economy. That this world's economy isn't the only economy. And we need to, as followers of Jesus, become more alive to that. It doesn't mean that we need to deafen our ears to the systems of this world. But we aren't a part of that. At all. We are a people a part of a kingdom that transcends all of that. Holds the tension. Puts things back together. The Enlightenment, in many ways, it separated things. It, 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 it told us that philosophy has, 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 has hurt Christianity because we adopted so much of it that God can only be found in light. That good can only be in light. But actually, we're the ones that Jesus is teaching us through the scripture. You hardly ever find God showing up in the light. God often is showing up in the dark. In caves. At nighttime. When you least expect it. And how do you learn how to trust Jesus if you never turn the lights off? If you always can see where you're going. If you get with all your fortune teller prophets instead of the real prophets of God that tell you where you're going instead of trusting Jesus. I was saying this yesterday. The older I get in worship, the more intimate I am. I realized I'm 
the more intimate I am, the less I know what I'm doing. The more intimate I am, it, it, it's the less I know where I'm going. And the less I know where I'm going, the more intimate I become. Like one of the greatest things that we, me and Rachel were joking about, it, one of the greatest things you could do for, you know, people that want to get married. <laughs> the greatest test, I was just thinking this a couple weeks ago, is, is just blindfold them and say, hey, we'll make sure you don't hurt yourself. But <laughs> as your first lesson in getting ready to get married, find your way out of the room or the office. Or... Why? Because the less you know where you're going, the more intimate you're going to have to be in the moment. I don't want to blow through this existence. I don't want to blow through parenting. I was saying this yesterday to the worship team. I'm just sort of tired of professionalism. I get it why we did that, because we don't want to just be dorks in society. I get it. I get it. So the 90s, and we want to raise leaders to change the world and all this stuff. But at some point, you start to get weary of professionals. Because professionals don't transform us. It's, it, I've told my children this for years as I was raising Samuel. I would always say, man, I'm not a professional. Which became kind of a joke, you know. I'm not a professional dad. I don't need to be a professional dad. I just need to be awake, aware, prayerful, expectant. Don't miss, don't miss it. And don't think for one second that you're going to be able to do this anyway without the help of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then just admit that, that you have that need. But I don't, I, I, I haven't been transformed hardly at all by professionals. I've been, it's like, it's like I'm not a professional husband. Rachel's not a professional wife. You know, how weird would it be anyway? So my professional wife, Rachel, it's like, it's weird, you know? And, 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 you know, Josh Thompson, lifetime best friend, best man in my wedding. I mean, I don't hold it against him that he didn't have me be his best man in his wedding. But I'm just, I've said that before. But, no, no, no. But, he, he, but I didn't pay him to do that. He's not my best friend because he's a professional friend. No, no, it's way better than that. And we get tired of, you know, we don't. And I just wanted to say this. It's, it, Jesus is also revealing to us. I don't know if I needed to say all that. But Jesus is also revealing to us, guys, that heaven is real. It's all real. And the reality of it changes everything. This is one of the things that C.S. Lewis, he actually went through four um, stages of his salvation experience. And Tolkien was a big part of that for him. And, and one of the biggest things that he had a difficulty with was the separations of things. Like logic and imagination. Like the, 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 the imaginative faith world wasn't real, right? And, and the logical world was real and he, as he finally becomes just a full-fledged follower of Jesus, he says, I'm realizing that, man, everything I thought was real is becoming more and more meaningless to me. 
and everything I thought was petrimith and poetry and imagination, that's becoming so real. And it is real and it's transforming and it changes me. He goes so far as to say this line. I don't want us to, I don't want you to think I'm a heretic or something. It's just such a powerful line. He says, I've come to realize, and surprised by joy, he says, I've come to realize that it's far more important that heaven is real than that any of us get there. Do you hear what he's saying? He's not, because you're not going to get there if it's not real. He's not saying that it doesn't matter that we get to heaven. It's that we need to be trained in the reality that it's real now. And it's far more important that we live now like heaven and eternity is real than that any of us get there. Why? Because we become participants, right, in what we allow to invade our imaginations. Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, music, anything. You know, you, you just think you, you maybe annihilate it by, you know, this last year I've been trying to not watch as much news. But th- this kid comes along and it's like, no, 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 it's the music. To, roll down the windows and this is what you'll hear. There's a transformation that Jesus has in mind for us. Heaven's real. And then there's this other little beautiful thing that that he says here. He says, um, thirty-four. Let's read that again. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I love that. So it's not worry, but look. And it's not tomorrow, but today. It's not worry, but look. And it's not tomorrow, but today. What are we called to? today I wrote this song years ago called Mr. Fortune Teller <laughs> and I remember I, I, I went to go minister at Christ for the Nations and this oh sweet girl who didn't understand there was a language barrier there she got in the car she was one of the people driving me to Christ for the Nations to minister and she said oh Jason why would you sing about fortune tellers? I was like, oh, no, no. I'm not singing about fortune tellers. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm and I walked her through, I'm, I'm pitting all the things that we follow after. You know, uh, uh, the kid that's, you know, uh, all dressed up and I'm ready to go now. All dressed up, I got, you know, something to do. I'm waiting on a friend called going somewhere. Because we're always, when we're young, waiting to go somewhere. I'm waiting on a friend called going somewhere. I'm waiting like me. I'm waiting like you. But could you help me out, Mr. For- Mr. Going somewhere? Could you come down here to my dwelling place? This is the thing you learn in college, don't you? It's like the person that's going somewhere hardly ever turns around and looks for the person not going anywhere, looking to the person going somewhere, right? Could you, could you help me out, Mr. Going somewhere? Could you come down here to my dwelling place? Your voice is loud, but your words are empty. I'll be waiting right here if you got something to say to an ordinary man on an ordinary day. 
And then we got the people of inspiration. You know, you get a little bored in life and you watch DBN or something. You know, you know, generally don't recommend it. But, I mean, I used to actually do that. Brian Willard, you know, I always room on the, on, on, on the, on the road. I always room with people. And Brian Willard was my roommate. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, he used to always get so, he would laugh so hard because I would always watch TBN to fall asleep to after a night and I would have the clicker on me but then I'd fall asleep within five minutes and he'd be sitting in the bed just watching TBN he'd run over and grab it I don't know why it just kind of the gold chairs and all it just kind of put me to sleep it was just amazing and uh and uh but maybe you're you know you're midlife in your 30s or whatever and you're Wiping a lot of rears and being a parent and all of that that comes with it. And I remember doing that. And, you know, the man of inspiration, you know. You know, he's, he's old. He, you know, he's a, uh, well, I can't remember these, these poems anymore. But, you know, he's a, if he, was, if, he was, if he was younger now, this is what he'd be now. If he was younger now, this is what he'd do. And he's waiting on a man called inspiration. He's waiting like me. He's waiting like you. Could, but could you help me out, Mr. Inspiration? Could you come down here to my dwelling place? Your voice is loud. This is, this is the spoiler alert. The man going somewhere and the man of inspiration isn't coming to your dwelling place. Could you come down here to my dwelling place? Your voice is loud, but your words are empty. I'll be waiting right here. This celebrity culture that's even invaded the church, it's not coming to your dwelling place. It's not going to be there this week. Pastors will be there this week. You will be there this week. You will be at the dwelling place of the place where Jesus lives. So let's stop waiting for tomorrow, all right? That I'm pitting this against. Let's stop waiting for tomorrow, see? Against the incarnate one, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us comes, right? Not the superhuman, not the, not the man going somewhere who will never come to your dwelling place, not the man of inspiration who will never come to your dwelling place, not the person that's better than all of us that we all want to be around. No, the person who lowers himself to the lowliest of the lowly and shows us the God way, the Jesus way, the kingdom way, the way that will transform the world and make all things new again. The hope way. Let's stop waiting for tomorrow. Tomorrow has become today and heaven's hidden hopes not far away. It's there within our bright-eyed wonder. It's found within life's tragedy. Sometimes I laugh so hard it just takes hold of me. God's got a hold of me. He's older now and he's getting wiser. We're all older now and getting wiser. Some of you are older than me and you're even more wise than me. And he's wiser now because noth- there's nothing new. He's heard a thousand fortune tellers. He's heard them all like me and you. I was there when they prophesied Y2K. I was there. I was there, I'm I'm just, I'm not trying to pick on things, I'm just saying I was there when we were all going to be, I was literally in conferences, large conferences, 
declared throughout the world that we were all going to be in shackles if Obama gets elected. And we we're all going to go in trains to places. I was going to be there. Everybody's going to be there. This was prophesied in the name of Jesus. We were all going to all these places, still waiting to be shackled in chains, going to all these places. Why? To distract us from the kingdom. heard a thousand fortune tellers, heard them all like me and you, but that fortune teller ain't coming down to your dwelling place. Jesus is. Would you help me out, Mr. Fortune Teller? Would you come? No, generally we're the ones helping out the fortune teller. And then they start prophesying, so we'll help them out a little more. When the fortune tellers become politicians, we've got a problem. Because the prophets of God are different than the prophets of kings. Even in the scripture, the prophets of God, they're always the ones hidden in the wilderness somewhere because they're not a part of any of those systems. And then when the king really needs, I don't need to hear from the prophet that will tell me what I want to hear. I need to hear from a prophet that will tell me the truth. This is the hope of the world. Don't worry about those systems. This is, I just finished, I just want to make it clear. I'm not talking about political parties. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the hope of the world and the hope of the world. It transcends all of those systems. You're the hope. Followers of Jesus in this world truly look and see, be awake. Be awake to what Jesus is awake to. It's like what we were hearing this morning. We're awake to Trinity. We're awake to community. We're not awake to Jason Upin's opinion. We're awake, or your opinion. We're awake to the community, the voice of God in the midst of our community with all of the tension, right? Because we want to follow Jesus. Just this last thing on this subject. I'm, I'm only 47. Gary is way more wise in this than me, although he's only 51. This is amazing. Uh, but, but many of you are much more wise than this. But I, I look to, and we need in the kingdom, people to awake us to the reality of Jesus' kingdom, who Jesus is, knowing. This is the beauty when I'm looking at it. This, this is the beauty. The generations coming together, it, it, it's becoming far less normal even in church to see that. People that see things differently than us. This is, this is actually, Socrates says, there's no way you can arrive at truth if you never sit across the table from somebody that has the opposite opinion than you. How are you going to arrive at truth if you never listen to your elders or your mothers and fathers? If you never listen, if you just blow off. How are you going to arrive at truth if you never sit across the table from somebody that thinks opposite of you? But it's the humility of heart. So Eugene Peterson has this new book out. It's called, it's a book on his life by Wynn Collier. It's called Shut Up in My Bones or something, Fire in My Bones, I think. I just listened to it recently. He says this, he says, 
he, he'd come to a place in his 80s where he realized he wanted to, from the time he was young, he used to be with Pat Robertson, talking about that first quote of New York City. He, he and Pat Robertson, of all people, you don't see them together, but they were really good friends, and they would go up to the top of the, of the buildings in New York City, and they would pray for the Spirit to move over the city. And he never, even though he got into the scholastic world, he never left that sort of rooted spirituality that he had, right, of the Spirit moving across among the people. And he never believed that academics would be the, the hope and the salvation of the world. He always felt it would be presence, the presence of the Lord, the presence of his people, right? And towards the end of the book, he, he, he comes to a place where he realizes that in his marriage, in his home, in his life, I don't know that I've become a saint. I don't know that I've become holy. And I want to become holy. And so he's not thinking about far off in the future. Listen, to this, not tomorrow, but today. Listen to what he says. End of this book, he says, I get up at 5.50 a.m. every morning. This is in his 80s. I go to the kitchen and prepare the morning coffee for Jan and me, his wife and him. I turn on the morning radio for about eight minutes. <laughs> this is amazing to me. Because I love news, but it's like, this it really convicts me. I turn on the morning radio and orient... I orient myself to the world's idea of what's going on. Not what's going on. I love how he says that. I orient myself to the world's idea of what's going on. And then I grind African ground uh, coffee beans, either from Kenya or Zimbabwe. I love how it just pops to that, you know. And while they're brewing in a French press, I walk down to the lake shore and perform my morning mikvah, a purificatory prayer, in anticipation of following Jesus for the next 18 hours or so. The so-called news is fairly predictable. The death of some world leader or celebrity, war casualties, politics, political scandals and infighting, conspicuously deficient in person, in beauty, in goodness, in truth. There is no sign of transcendence. The coffee's done in about six minutes. I pour two mugs into an aluminum coffee flask and I take one to Jan. I pour myself a mug and I take it to the bench overlooking the mountain lake. And this is what I do. I sip it. I pray the Psalms. I meditate the presence of the word of God. I pray. It convicted me every 18 hours. Not I'm going to give my life to you forever, Lord. And another song about my giving you my forever. It's just, this guy is in his 80s and he wants to become holy. And he's like, I don't trust myself beyond 18 hours. <laughs> so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go baptize myself daily in the waters. I'm going to do a purificatory prayer that he learned in Israel, he says in the book. And then I'm going to... And then I'm going to commit myself to all I can just the next 18 hours. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to look back on that day. And then I'm going to commit myself, wash myself again, commit myself to another 18 hours. Because it's not tomorrow, it's today. Yeah. 
Can you come up and can we do this? Oh, you're the best. Oh, my God. As we sing this song, I want us to stand just where you are. I'm worried about all sorts of things. I was brought up a certain way. I have a certain honoring system from my mom and dad. I've probably been way more traditional than anybody, you know, uh, in my age category. And I have worries about the future. I worry about all sorts of things. I'm an artist, so artists, all of us that are artists, you're so open to things that what can get you in trouble is that you, you know, you can get sad about things. You can, you can, you can worry about things. Anxiety can be there because you're open to things. You're created to be a prayer warrior. But sometimes you can be overwhelmed by things that God says, just give it to me. But I just want to say this. This is from Wendell Berry, and then we're going to sing this song. He says, it's important for us to realize that we live in a time. He's saying this in his 90s about the here and now, right now, where we live. This is this prophet. He says, we all come, we all, this is the problem. We all come from divorce. Because this is an age of divorce. Things that belong together have been taken apart. And you can't, you can't put it all back together again. I mean, think about what, what we're dealing with this week as a family. You can't put it all back together again. The only thing you can do is just take two things that ought to be together and put them back together. Two things, not all things. That's the way the work has to go. So the main thing becomes a kind of earnest of your faith in and your affection for things that, that we miss and that we'd like to have again. This is what Jesus is offering us. The making of all things new isn't trying to make all things new all at once. It's just coming against the spirit of the age of divorce to separate, to divide, to divide, to divide, to divide. And just saying, man, these two things need to actually be together and live together. And the, and the, and the greatest of these is what Jesus offers us in this image of the Abba. This God who calls to us, this one that we worship and praise with all of our hearts and all of our lives. So 